Okay, so we are starting with our very first webinar. So I'm Amy Vertries, one of the coaches here at the Common Thread, and we have Jess. Jessica, Jessica, <laughs> Jess McMichael, also one of the um, three, one of the three of the Common Thread. Yes, nice and Kelly's well. probably going to join us on uh, the phone. So, you know, busy surging lives. If, if this isn't just like the reality showing up, I don't know what it is. Um, so bear with me again. To the um, So I just want to do a couple slides just for fun. I was, I was mostly just trying some tech stuff. That's one thing that I'm trying this year is trying new things. Um, and I, you know, wanted to bring you all um, on and for us to talk about lots of different things about coaching and time management. Wanted to make sure to give you some uh, idea of some of the things that we do in room one. If you're not a room one member, I know that we have several people here who are, um, and that's, uh, you know, really helpful as well. So this is our website here, the um, www.commonthreadwomensurgeons.com. So I wanted to, you know, tonight we wanted to offer you this gift of time with these top seven tips for taking control of your most precious resource. Now, the time management is like one of those things that, you know, we all talk about. Everyone's heard a lot. We'll do this, do that. Um, and so some of these tips, and these are just really obviously can't go into a ton of detail, um, but I think these will help you understand how coaching and thought work can really help. Not so much just do this, do that kind of deal. Um, and, you know, we talked last month at a book club about money, about how money seems like a finite thing and scarcity. Well, money is something that can come and go, but we can actually generate it. Time is one of those things that is difficult to generate. We only have 24 hours in a day. Um, so tip number one is... And this is, starts off with an action item. It's make a list. But the most important thing is starting to take things off of it. This is where I'd like a ton of mind work comes in. Um, and first is, you know, if you make a list, you're really putting all the things that are in your head down onto a piece of paper. Our, our brains are not meant to store things. They're meant to um, put, they're just meant to give us actions, you know, let us do things. So if you put it down on a list, then for one thing, it frees up your mind to stop thinking about these things. Because even if we don't consciously think about it, it's like a, oh, we've got to do this. So I've got to do that. And so our, we spend a lot of mental energy thinking about things. So the first thing is make a list. But the most important thing, this is where the mind work comes in, is most of us are going to have a list that you can't possibly do in 24 hours, can't possibly do. And so we have to find ways to take things off the schedule. And the very first thing is to look at everything you write down there and say, why, why is this on this list? And a very easy, easy strategy is to keep asking yourself why I want to do this. Why? Well, this is what I want to get out of it. Well, why? And if you keep asking yourself on these little simple things, you start to realize that your true motivations behind something. If your why is, well, I feel like I have to. Well, why? Well, because I'm, I may, you know, they may look down at me if I don't, well, you know, is that important? You know, things like that. Um, those are the things that will, um, let you know what your true motivations are. So then you start to see like, am I interested in this topic or am I committed to it? Um, and those are other things that can help because, you know, there's lots of things on our list that we want to do that we like to do, um, but we may not be committed to it. And if you're not committed to it, if you're not willing to put it on one of those precious minutes of the limited amount of time you have in a week, then that's probably the most, that's the most important um, aspect of it. Yes. And I, I just, just kind of popped up with the chat and said that, um, Kelly Casperson, our third founding member, uh, coach in the common thread is on phone. So 
the uh, the most important thing is starting to take things off the list. Um, so for this first tip, uh, Jess, do you have any um, any thoughts on this first tip? There's a total of seven. We want to leave lots of time for questions um, as well. Yeah, um, I love this, and I love the taking things off part. And this is actually what I do at night because I have a hard time sleeping when I have all that crap swirling around in my brain. Um, so this is like the journaling that I actually do. It's not even like real journaling. It's basically making a list and I get all that stuff that I think I have to do out of my brain. And then I look at it and I just think, okay, what is actually going on here? And, and then once I have it out and something that I can look at and then really understand what is important and what isn't important, then I can sleep. So the only thing I have to add is that consider the time of day you do this and, and how that might impact the way your brain's going to function. Right. And especially, you know, making a list is now starting to turn. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about identity in a minute, but it starts turning you into the, the CEO of your life, you know, the, the director of your life, not just the reactor of it. If you're not really having some kind of plan in place, then you're really just going to be reacting to what's happening. Um, the other thing is keeping your overarching thing, uh, overarching interest in mind. You know, what is really the end game here? What is what I really want? You know, what do you really want in life? And that kind of goes to life purpose. And that's certainly some higher level thing that takes a lot of mind work of really understanding the motivations and why we do the things we do every day. All right. Tip number two. This is um, really in, important too for kind of controlling your mind is have an inbox. You know, greater organization will come. I mean, um, I have a, um, actually signed up for a course that was really helpful. Right. Actually, two courses that were very helpful on organization. Yeah. But the most common things that we see is um, that oh, right is now, have an inbox. Okay. So I think we have someone, uh, if you, uh, I think a lot of people to talk, but if you would not mind muting, if you're not talking. The uh, figure out how. So you have an inbox. So what you want to do, and this is like I, I have on my phone, I have the notes on there. And uh and so if something comes up in the day, I just add it on notes. So there's like I'm capturing things on here. Um, there's a physical inbox at home. Um, the Lisa Woodruff does the organized 365 and she calls this the Sunday basket. So it's really interesting. Whatever comes in says, am I going to do anything about this today? Can it wait till Sunday? And so she asks herself, can it wait till Sunday? She dumps it in that box. Because one thing that we're doing a lot of is task switching. You know, we think it's multitasking, but really what we're doing is doing this, doing that, or we're losing things. We can't find things. Um, so having just one place where you know where to find stuff can actually go a long way towards saving you lots of time. Um, did you have, oh, sorry, uh, Jess, do you have anything to add about an inbox? Yeah, I do this and didn't even realize that it had a, like a whole title, <laughs> but I email myself. So instead of keeping a list on my phone, I basically, if there's something important, I email myself. So then the next day or whenever I usually am looking at things the next day, it's all like a new message that needs to be opened. So it reminds me to do it. Yes. And for me, I get a little bit nervous if I don't, if I feel like I need to do something, I actually have a hard time sleeping. If I feel like I need to think of something, I think I'll remember it the morning, mm -hmm. but then I'm like, right. For like an hour going, am I going to remember the morning? I think I'm going to remember the morning. Should I remember the morning? <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, finding one way where you just capture it in one, uh, you know, one location. And um, especially I, I 
transition more to digital stuff just because it's really hard um, as a surgeon to run around with paper things. And so I really rely a lot on my phone. So the notes on my phone, you know, email is another thing too, but the physical inbox at home um, helps both me and my husband when we have like all these things that need to be addressed. And so then, you know, um, her purpose of the Sunday basket was to sit down on Sunday for, you know, uh, this period of time, you go through all the things that came in through the week, you plan the next week um, and it's all in one place. And then it allows you to then, you know, go and file things as you go along, but really just finding a, um, a simple way to kind of keep your mind, not spending time on busy work. Mm-hmm. Uh, tip number three. Now this is, this is where um, mind work is so, so, so important. Um, and this is focusing on your identity. And I want you guys to think for a minute. And in fact, I'm going to pull the chat box here. Um, so uh, if you uh, tell me a little bit about yourself and what you think, uh, when I think about like time management and organization, um, some of the things you think of is like procrastinator, or, you know, I need someone, I need, you know, more help, or I can't do tech, or, you know, all these things that these thoughts that kind of stack up and then turn into um, a belief. Anyone here want to share what their some, some of their um, thoughts are, their challenges? Um, as we're typing up here, the one thing um, that I used to tell myself was a procrastinator, I used to say that I have to wait um, until the last minute for, um, to do things. Uh, and there used to be a lot of pressure because I told myself that so often then I would wait to that last minute. I tell myself I had to have some sort of, um, pressure to put on myself. And so ch- changing from, um, I, I posted, um, in room one on a blog post, my summary of the now habit where he, they talked about procrastinating about how we do that as, you know, kind of a safety mechanism. You know, if we kind of hold it in tight, we don't have to, we don't have to put it out there in the world. So we're a little bit safe. You know, if we save it to the last minute, we can kind of get a little bit of an out saying, oh, you know, I just had to do it in a rush. And, you know, if I had more time, it'd be better. Um, and so there's a lot of these underlying thoughts um, and being a procrastinator that is, is helpful and very similar to perfectionism. You know, I want it to be perfect. So I'm going to hold on to it until it's perfect. And a lot of those is just the insecurity of wanting to send that out into the world. So, you know, really um, the identity is really, you know, we, it feels like the truth. It feels like that's what we are, but really what identity is are beliefs about ourselves and beliefs about ourselves are built on lots of thoughts that stack up one on top of each other so much so that it looks like, and it feels like evidence. And so we use that evidence to create our identity and say, well, this is how I am. And, you know, I have all this evidence from before and we tell ourselves that's just how it is and that we can't change. Um, how I, um, how I started changing was changing the thoughts that were in my head. Instead of saying I'm a procrastinator, I'm saying I'm a finisher. I do what I say I'm going to do. Um, the I started directing my brain more so than just saying, well, I'll just wait till the last minute. You know, I wasn't focusing on pressure of time. I started um, putting focus on steps, creating little discrete steps that help. And with each of these small steps, I was then building evidence for myself that I was a finisher. And the other aspect is when you're looking at your time to say, not like, I'm going to do, I'm going to spend three hours doing this, you know, this presentation. Instead, it's saying, I'm going to spend 30 minutes. And at, at the end of 30 minutes, I'm going to have an outline. I'm going to have an outline of the slides. You know, they could be rough, they could that, but I'm going to spend 30 minutes. And it's not the time that's important, it's the outcome. I'm going to have an outline by 30 minutes. 
And it's interesting what happens when you direct your brain because you, you're giving a direct uh, a directive order. You know, so the the stress and the, uh, not, I shouldn't say the stress, but the challenge of it comes from being specific. And a lot of times we'll take as long as it lets us take. But if you, it, it, it's like our task fill the space that we give it. But if you give it a short period of time and a discreet um, thing to do, that that helps um, really free your time. And then with these small steps, builds that evidence that you are a finisher. And you could do it with good quality work without stressing yourself out. Um, so Jess, any thoughts on that? I agree with this a hundred percent. And I was the same way I, um, identified as a procrastinator and I actually wore that badge proudly. I did this my whole academic life. I would wake up at five in the morning and I would write a 10 page paper that was due that day. I would do all of my labs that were those, you know, all of the labs you'd have to write up for biology and all the different science classes in college, I would do them the morning they were due. And I mean, I, I got great grades. And so I thought that it was like this magic sauce that I had, but looking back on it after I have done work, because it's not comfortable to procrastinate like that. And then at the time I didn't, you know, have the foresight to kind of investigate why it's so uncomfortable but now after having done coaching for a while, I realized that your brain is still occupied during the entire time that you're procrastinating. It's occupied with worrying about the thing or thinking about the thing or judging yourself about the thing or whatever it is your brain is occupied doing. So it ends up wasting who knows how much more time. Even if you are like me and you can bang it out, like right at the last minute and you can do a good job doing that, it's just an uncomfortable lived experience. So recently I have shifted to, like you just mentioned, giving myself X amount of minutes or hours. And I, I did this all through this advanced coaching training that I just did. We had assignments, um, and a couple of essays, and then this final project. And then I recently wrote an article for National Ortho Magazine. And I would just give myself like a two hour block. And I would say, you know what? You can just write, you can write this whole thing. You can write the whole thing in two hours. And it doesn't matter how terrible it is, you're just going to write it. And that I gave myself permission to almost like vomit words onto the paper. <laughs> And then when I was done, I would look at it and I'd say, oh my gosh, this is like, this is a, an actual start. And now all I have to do is edit and it worked. And then you don't have this miserable experience of all the time as you're putting things off. It's so rewarding and it just takes some practice. So that's how I, that's kind of how I function now. And, and I think that bringing up the idea about the uncomfortable emotions too, because, you know, it's usually we're uncomfortable. We're not feeling great about ourselves. So, and then we can't really sit with that emotion. So then we buffer and then we, you know, we withhold um, rewards from ourselves too, saying, well, I'm not going anywhere until I finish this. So I'm going to sit here for three hours, even though I haven't exactly quite figured out a strategy, I'm going to be miserable. I'm going to get some chips because I could do that while I'm thinking about working, but I'm not going to go spend time with my family. <laughs> <laughs> and so on and so on. And that's where the coaching helps is to realize like when you could stop yourself and say, 
why am I doing this activity that I don't want to do? You know, why am I not finishing this task? Why am I eating chips? Why am I avoiding my family? You know, things like that. That's where um, some of the coaching um, helps. So focusing on the identity, incredibly important. Um, and then, okay, now this is gonna, I put this in four so y'all didn't like turn off when I, if I had it first, is this, <laughs> <laughs> this is a little tedious but it is extremely important. Um, the, if you look and see how long you spend time on things, you know, how long, and I've brought this um, example up several times before, like how long do you spend in clinic? You're like, well, I, you know, first patient shows up at nine and, and then they're, they're, you know, done at two today. Um, now, is that really how long clinic takes? Is that all the things involved in it? And of course not. It's like, it's like the 30 minutes to one hour or however long before that you prep for it. It's the time that you spend in clinic. It is the notes afterwards. It's the following up on the calls. It's looking at, you know, putting orders in. And so if you're on your schedule and you're saying, I'm putting this block of nine to two for clinic, you're setting yourself up for failure because you're really not considering the true time of the task. And so once you start putting the true time of the task, you're like, well, why the heck am I spending three hours writing notes? There has to be a better way. And that was one thing um, that I started becoming more efficient in clinic is um, I got so far behind on my notes one week, I sat down and I watched an entire season of Schitt's Creek <laughs> doing my notes, an entire season. Now granted the episodes are short, but I thought, well, I just, I can't spend my time this way. You know, I can't spend my time this way. So then what I did is I didn't change the amount of clinic I had. I changed the efficiency. I changed a lot of systems in place. And so now um, there's many times where I finish notes before clinic is over. Um, and there's a lot of different strategies um, that can uh, that you can start shortening the time once you start really realizing how much time it's taking. And so this part is really kind of tedious to, to write these things down. But then when you start writing them down, you start realizing how, how long things actually take then, and you realize you only have a certain amount of time in your day, then it's easier to start turning things down. Now you're starting to be realistic. Um, you know, when you have this task and someone hands this task to you or this idea, and you can look at it and say like, where am I going to put this on this schedule? You know, something has to give. So either, either I do this and something bumps off or this is not worth it. Um, and this is where, you know, starting to be realistic about the time that things take um, is helpful. Um, and that's the other aspect is just kind of like we mentioned before, giving clear directions. And I have the most stressful time. And I know we've coached several folks on this. Some of the most stressful times are those days that you have off or like big expanses of time, because, you know, there's this like, um, if you don't give exactly like a direction of what to do, they're like, well, I can do all of these things. I can do all these things are sort of, none of them are like urgent or terribly important, but I could do all of them the day. And so you can kind of like go a little bit here and there and um, maybe not accomplish stuff. And I find the, those days somewhat uh, stressful. And um, those are the kind of the energy sucks that, that take time. Um, other aspects is when you're looking at your calendar is, you know, when are you spending more time on tax task that you have to. And I think being on call is actually probably one of the most, um, you know, time sucking, you know, emotion sucking things um, that I think that we have. Um, and when you get a call, like, oh, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to have to, you know, so I know that I start like kind of like perseverating over all kinds of things. I don't know where I'm going to fit this in. And I, so when I started realizing, okay, so the ER calls, all I have to do is go 
see the patient, write the orders, you know, driving over there is going to be five minutes. Seeing the patient's probably going to be like 10, 15 minutes, writing the notes, looking at the studies, maybe another 15 minutes. So it's probably about, and then driving back to the office is five minutes. So this is like maybe 45 minutes of time that it's going to take rather than my whole day is ruined. I can't do all this. I'm putting all this. Um, and so that um, was, and then I started realizing when I was on call, I was like, well, if I do get called, I, I can fit it in. I can maybe shift it a little bit. I can go in, you know, 10, 15 minutes later, I can still do this task. So I started allowing myself to schedule things on call um, and realizing that you had to be flexible, but I started allowing more things that I wanted to do in time that I was otherwise wasting on sort of some emotional baggage um, of it when I started being realistic about how much time things take. So some things were taking longer than I thought, and some things were actually taking a lot less time um, than I thought. And that was actually really freeing um, to realize that. What are your thoughts, Jess? I agree with everything that you're saying. Um, I think I had been doing this already when I tried to plan out my um, cases because I would naturally plan in for how long everybody else is going to be screwing around. So I would add that time. I think it's like, you know, anesthesia F around time. I would add that all in to my time that I request for a case because I have this like anxiety about delaying somebody who might be following me or something like that. It's, that's my own, that's my personal problem. I'm sure other surgeons, um, you know, like maybe don't care if they delay other people or whatever, but it's interesting how I'm like worried about it if it's going to affect somebody else, but I'm not worried about it if it's going to impact myself. So as I was listening to you just now, I was thinking about, you know, how you said you have kind of changed some efficiencies in clinic just by paying attention and how I'm doing myself a disservice by not like kind of, you know, looking at my own F around time that, that I've been screwing around. Like, do you know what I mean? How it's important to me if it's going to affect somebody else, but it's not important to me when it affects myself. I literally just had this realization just now. So I'm going to, um, I'm going to pay closer attention to what is going on in, in the clinic. And I think that's going to help. Yeah. And writing all this stuff down, I have given this worksheet to people that I've coached before. <laughs> Nobody does it because it's boring and it's stupid, but I swear it'll work. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, so the next thing, oh, now this is one that I know that we could all relate to. So, and this is why a lot of these scheduling things that you read about and, you know, practices that you hear about, this is when it really, really, really falls flat for us as surgeons, um, is dealing with changes. Um, the most important thing that I could tell you that, that may help is to drop the resistance to change, you know, dropping the resistance of things coming up, you know, you're not going to be on call and the ER is going to call that will set me into like orbit and it still does, but at least I can kind of like get out of the tailspin. Um, but the, the most important thing, and I think this is a thought that someone offered me a long time ago, um, that was very helpful is that, you know, interruptions are the job. That's our job 24 seven, you know, it kind of sucks sometimes, but when you think, well, you know, what, what, what did I do this for? Why am I, why am I a surgeon? Well, I'm a surgeon to take care of people and people get sick on their own timeline. And if I feel responsible for that patient, 
then I take responsibility for them. Um, and, you know, that's, that's kind of going back to that mantra that I posted, um, you know, kind of a life mantra of, of I do what I say I'm going to do. And if you commit to a job, then this is the job that you have. And if you don't feel um, that it's your responsibility or you're okay with someone, and, that's, and it's reasonable to, to consider that, like, do I change what I'm doing right now to accommodate this? Or do I let you know it play out some other way? Do I have the person on call deal with it? Things like that. And so the in some ways we have lots of decisions to make about this. And if we do change something that we scheduled, either because we had to, felt we had to do it, or or you know I got up to run it, I didn't really want to. Um, I the only thing that I find acceptable is if I like my reasons for doing it. You know, if I put something on the schedule and it was really important to me and something comes up and I have to change, uh, the main question I ask myself is, you know, do I like my reasons for kind of like prying off that that block that I put on the schedule and moving it somewhere else or discarding it altogether? You know, do I like my reasons? And when the ER calls um, and it's not my choice, like it's my choice, you know, then I'm like, well, I really have to decide this is my choice. And if it feels like it's not my choice that, you know, it is someone calling and it is an obligation that I have. Um, then I just have to wrap my mind around that I actually did choose this. I chose this profession and I choose to take care of the people that um, that rely on me. And that, you know, it's the resistance that adds extra time. You know, you can't change the travel time, the, the seeing the patient time, but you can change all the resistance and the resentment and the lashing out of people, which usually involves talking to them afterwards and unlashing them, <laughs> things like that. So that's my, my thought on dealing with changes is that understanding that change is part of the, the schedule, especially for surgeons. What, is, what say you, Jess? Um, yep. I mean, change is what it's all about. <laughs> it's, um, it's really fascinating how we go into this profession and we all take call. We all have to deal with stuff that comes up and we're all humans. And so it's just kind of part of it. It's the way our brains are wired. Our brains want to feel safe. Our brains don't want to be challenged. They don't want to have to do more work. So I think that this could be a superpower, um, learning how to accept it and drop the resistance. Um, this is actually something that I've been working on in my personal life um, quite a bit, actually and trying to let go of the things that I have been worried about that have already happened and let go of the things that I worry about that haven't happened and just try to be more present. Um, and being present in the moment helps you be more efficient, I think. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because you're, you're under clear direction. You know, I think this, it's that whole idea. Um, another um, aspect of identity is like, are you a creator or are you a reactor? Um, and if you're a reactor, you're completely at the mercy of what other people think, what other, what happens to you, things like that. If you're not creating um, the reality that you have being present and that's, um, you know, then you make it lucky. You may be in an environment where your reactions are, you know, work for you, but you are at the mercy of that. You lose a little bit of your power in that way. Um, let's see. This is, this is like a humongous topic in itself, getting other people to help you. And I put this as, you know, as a bottleneck because I think, you know, how often, um, 
do we end up finding out that we are the bottleneck? If you do everything yourself, then you're never going to progress. You know, the ability to, to delegate um, things that are, you know, below your pay grade. When you start looking at your calendar and deciding how much time you have in a day and kind of giving a value to the hour, like the, the amount of, let's just say like money, energy, whatever, an hour in your day is like, are these tasks that you're doing that you could be giving to someone else? Are they worth, worth your time? And so this is an interesting, difficult thing, especially for high achievers. We actually had a room one coaching session about this the other day. You know, when we're high achievers, the one thing that we tell ourselves is we can do it faster. We can do it better. Well, of course we can. We've, we've done it longer. A lot of times we have more, more skills and more knowledge and more experience in these things. But if we keep doing all the same things we did, we'll never progress. And a, uh, an accessible um, example that we have is, in, you, you've all seen this, like, you know, the junior resident that is acting like the intern because they know that that aspect. They don't know how to delegate um, information. The chief resident that's like the best best resident or the best intern on the team, but is not managing the team. You know, the attending that is pouring through all the records, being, you know, trying to find all the, the details, but they don't, because they don't trust the other people on the team. They're spending a lot of time um, stuck in a, a lower level than they could be. And so the ability to, to get people to help you is very, very uncomfortable because I think one of the most um, valuable things to tell yourself is that you're hundred percent responsible for everything that happens. And sometimes when we think we're hundred percent responsible for everything that happens means that we have to do everything that we have to accomplish hundred percent of everything that's going on. And that's really not the point. It's um, I am hundred percent responsible for giving clear directions, finding the right person, following up on them. Uh, you know, it, if, if it fails, it is on me. Meaning that I didn't give clear directions. I picked the wrong person. Um, you know, that maybe, and this is an interesting, this is very revealing for me. Sometimes you actually don't want them to help. You know, you want to be the one who does it. You feel like you do it the best. You know, you do the task because you want it done it a certain way and you're afraid that no one else is going to you know, do it that, that, that same way. And so you become the bottleneck of these things. And this is, this is a challenge. Um, when, um, when you look at coaching and you look at how you're interacting, seeing how you show up in that um, interaction is most helpful. Like, how are you getting them to help? Are you showing up resentful because they didn't do it the right way? You know, are you showing up, um, you know, like uh, withdrawing because, you know, you don't like the way that they showed up? You know, if you are paying attention and, and realizing how you're affecting the relationship, um, that can actually help your delegating. Um, but it's it's difficult to, when we look and say, well, they didn't do this right and they're not showing up. And then, you know, um, we affect these relationships by the things that we do every single day. Um, I could talk about this a lot, but that's, I think, I just want to kind of cover the highlights of those. Those are the things that I think are most clear when it comes to delegating. This is something, it was interesting. There was a, um, a, an example that someone gave is like, this requires practice. It requires practice to delegate. And so I think here's some simple tasks. It was really, it was really funny. It's like, you know, ask your spouse to get you a glass of water, ask your kid to do something <laughs> and just to try to see like, how clear are your directions? And like, what is the result that you get? And, you know, are you really kind of coming across like you think you are? Um, I thought it was kind of a clever exercise that's pretty low 
low risk, just, just to kind of see like, you know, am I asking, you know, am I like when we did that unbound book club, you know, am I coming across as the, uh, as the Dom or am I, am I the, 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 uh, um, the sub, <laughs> you know, it's just, it was interesting ways that we come across. So anyway, what do you, what are you, uh, are your thoughts on this, Jess? Yeah, this one's super important and maybe even something we could do like a, a whole separate webinar on, because I think for women in particular, there is probably a component of social conditioning here that women um, very often derive their worth from how much they're doing, right? Like how much they are kind of keeping all of the plates spinning. And it's simultaneously exhausting and also feeding the identity that they're this person that can do it all. And we're taught this, we're taught, um, you know, we're taught through our history, through our culture, through our advertising, all kinds of stuff that, you know, I mean, everybody's seen those like gifts about the mental load of a woman who works and then goes home and has to do the grocery shopping and make the dinner and clean the house and make sure all the kids appointments are X, Y, or Z. Um, so here's where getting other people to help is critical and where I have personally struggled because I have, um, had a difficult time asking for help and I've had a difficult time being very clear with what I want somebody to do to help me. And only recently, like in the last couple of weeks that I reached kind of a boiling point with my own relationship with my husband and with our home. And I said, I do not want to live like this anymore. I mean, I was about to lose it because of all of the clutter and all of the, um, you know, dishes and the laundry and all, I guess all the stuff that we all have because we live and we hired somebody to help us once a week. And I was very clear. I said, this is my expectation. This is what I want this person to do. This is, you know, blah, 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 blah. And it was so weird for me. It was like, I was like an out of body experience because it, this is challenging my identity. Um, so I know I can do more work in this realm and I'm, I want to, because it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous to spend so much time, like focused on all this other stuff that I like actually don't need to be doing. I really liked, um, our book club look, um, a couple months ago, um, unbound where she talked about the good girl, you know, the good girl does everything everybody says, you know, it's like just following around and, and that. And, and so it's interesting because she described the independent woman as good girl 2.0. Um, and that was really revealing to me because the good, the independent woman does everything herself. She could accomplish everything. So she doesn't need anybody's help, things like that. And, you know, that was sort of like the persona of when I was growing up of what you wanted to achieve, you know, like I bring home the bacon and I fried up a pan kind of thing. Like I am the, the one who does it all. And it's interesting because they said that that's the, that's the trap is that we aren't able to then get, we can't leverage other people to help us out. So we're sort of stuck in what we are able to do. And you can actually expand your reach and do beyond what you can do um, just by leveraging people helping you. 
Um, and it can be very uncomfortable. Like if you, when you do say things like, I want you to do this, you may have people react to you in different ways. You know, I've done this too. So like, well, I really want you to do this. And they come back and they say something snide and you're like, wow, okay. Um, and so it's kind of hard to recover from that. Um, but when you say like, well, I mean, is this important to me? Yes, it's important to me. You know, I have to tell people how to treat me. Um, and if they come back and then I just have to, you know, realize is, you know, what my intentions were of conveying that. And you have to still tell people how to treat you and it, do, it doesn't always go well. That's, and then you have to, you know, revolve your mind around that. So that's a bit of a challenge. Um, but I agree, um, which yes, this is definitely something you can kind of go on and on about because it is something I think this is our next level stuff when it comes to, you know, coaching and things like that too. I think this is the part that we can really help folks the most on is leveraging the people around you um, and maximizing the relationships and building the relationships and, you know, improving on those things. And so those relationships really elevate us and help us, you know, get, get beyond what we're able to accomplish ourselves. And the last one, I do want to make sure that we have plenty of time, take more time. There's a study that I read that um, people that were burned out, like, like crispy burned out, um, had plenty of vacation time available. So why are you not taking vacation? Why are you not taking administrative time? You know, I've talked about growth days too. Like, you know, it's important to schedule time for yourself. You are a priority. It's the putting your, the oxygen mask on yourself before you put it on other people. Um, these are the things of, of really insisting on taking more time. Um, and, you know, stop, we need to stop telling ourselves that we can't, because I think we have to start telling ourselves we have to. It's pretty simple. What do you think, Jess? Um, yeah, a hundred percent. So this is something I've learned since kind of becoming an entrepreneur. And what I realized is, is that my ideas and the creativity flows when I'm rested. And when I have like just a little bit of time and space, that's not so frenzied. Um, so learning that, that can just be so creative has like been the thing that actually kind of taught me how valuable taking time is. So I was able to see a little bit of a reward in just seeing my brain open up and being more creative. And um, I mean, that's, that's how I like sort of pivoted into all this coaching stuff. And like, it's, it's really interesting. And I don't know that I would have done it and accepted it so readily in my life without seeing the reward pretty early. And it's amazing how it's rewarded me in my surgical practice too. I've noticed that the more time, like I take time every single day, actually, I have made this a practice ever since we read the book about stopping drinking, um, which was a while ago, I take a bath every day and it's at least 30 minutes and I just relax. Um, so that practice of building that in every day has, has really shown me how I can solve problems so much better. Like I mentioned creativity a couple of times I've had it where I have not known the answer to a clinical problem. And I just really let myself relax and rest. And it's like the answer just kind of comes. So again, it actually 
gives you more time by allowing yourself to truly rest because otherwise we're just constantly in stress mode. And when you're in stress mode, your limbic system, your, the lower parts of your brain are not connected to the cortex and the cortex is where all the planning happens and all of the intention and all of the stuff we want to build and create. So if we're constantly in stress mode and those, those neural pathways are offline, then that's like a huge time suck because we're basically spinning our wheels in stress. And now I wrote that article about growth days and, and it is, is moving from the reactor to creator. Now, if you're in a good environment and you're reacting to, you know, you have good leaders around you, good people around you, your reactions are probably going to lead you to a positive environment. If you're in um, an environment that's not healthy for you, or, you know, you're easily swayed potentially by different things, you're always going to be reacting to what's going on around you. Um, taking this time um, to be creative and coming up with solutions is helpful. And I know I've had a lot of people say like, well, how do you, you know, how do I want to take my PTO time? I don't want to take my vacation time for this personal growth. Um, so, and I think that this is where we can, you know, collectively as a group start showing that by taking this administrative time, by taking this personal growth time, by valuing um, growing ourselves personally, uh, I, it's made me more effective. You know, it's not affected my RVUs. I started taking off two days a month um, to just do whatever I wanted. And sometimes I go to, you know, work catch up and mostly it's just building the business part. Um, but I moved this, um, this month to four days. And so like trying to build more time in actually gives me more time. This is one of those, you know, you, you get compound interest, you put some time in, you get a lot more time back, um, by being able to maximize the time that you have. And so really, I think for me, this is one of these concepts that's, you know, like delegating, I know I need a lot more work, but I'm seeing so much more improvement in getting that time back that these are skills to develop. And this is definitely where coaching helps. Um, now let's see now that, that we've more time, let's talk about coaching. So, um, a couple things, I know that we've talked, there's several folks on here and several of you in, in, um, in room one already, and we talk about this all the time, what we think creates the results that we get. And most of coaching is just figuring out what the heck we're thinking in the first place, you know, and sometimes our thoughts are obvious, of course, and sometimes they're not. And these are the hidden thoughts. These are the, the beliefs, these things that we think are true, but when challenged by someone, and this is where coaches are helpful. We're, you know, we're not friends. We're not your relatives. You, you know, you don't have to worry about the relationship. You know, our job is to show what you're thinking. It is not a judgment. And in fact, you know, when these negative things come up, it's a safe place for those negative things to come up. You know, you want a place where you can really explore what's going on in your mind without feeling judged, without feeling um, bad, you know, really starting to see like, oh, that's how I'm getting the results that I'm getting. And, you know, asking those, those questions that really unlock what's going on in our brain. Um, and this is why we do this, because when we see how our mind works, it gives us the power to make changes. Um, so I wanted to talk, um, and this last part is, is very specific about coaching. There's, you know, a couple different categories of coaching. Self-coaching is just basically where you do it all yourself. You know, you uh, gather information. Um, this is, you know, representing the Common Thread Facebook group. These are like podcasts um, of which we are starting our public po podcast soon with the Healthy Surgeon Project. So Kelly, Jess, and I um, are creating our, our public um, podcast, which is going live soon. Uh, the, the private podcast is available for any room one member. And this is where we have those coaching sessions. And, you know, we're not kidding about the common thread. We have the same things, 
you know, you'll see many themes coming over. Um, and a lot of people have said, like, gosh, it's like you're reading my mind. You know, I didn't realize that other people were struggling with us too. So self-coaching is when you're reflecting on your own thoughts and self-coaching is just, again, this is like Kelly points this out all the time. This is ancient. This has been around as long as brains have been, you know, thinking for themselves. Um, I did want to kind of take us through room one, because I know that a lot of people are on here. And so um, I'm going to table this because I just have a couple more things here too. We'll take you to the website and go through, just make sure that you guys are maximizing all the things in room one. And if you're not in room one and you want to know what it's about, I could take you through it. Um, and we'll look at the different features to see all that's available. Um, so Kelly, uh, or Jess and I both do one-on-one -on -one coaching. This is where you sign up with one person. You pick a time that's best for you. And it's, you know, kind of a longitudinal. It's ongoing, it's private. Um, and a lot of times it's working through specific things, job changes, relationships, you know, uh, working on delegating, um, uh, exceeding in, or excelling to work, things like that. Um, and just contact it, the uh, Jess or me about the details of those one-on-one -on -one coaching. Um, masterclass is something that the three of us have combined. Um, you probably heard about the, uh, the masterclass on quitting drinking. Um, Kelly did a lot of fantastic work um, on that subject. Uh, and this is our next masterclass coming in October, uh, which is Stop, Stop Hating Surgery Clinic. Um, goodness knows, uh-oh, hold on a second, I lost y'all. Um, so, so Stop Hating Surgery Clinic is, we thought we'd just tackle like one of the um, aspects that a surgeon deals with that's the most painful and clinics sound like the best one. Um, this is where we talk about, you know, specific topics, they're personalized, they're eight weeks, you get group coaching, you get one-on-one -on -one coaching. This is certainly more of like a discrete thing, taking you from start to finish um, to really uh, maximize the um, one particular aspect. And so we have these quarterly. So the masterclass, um, our next masterclass is Stop Hating Surgery Clinic comes up in October. So wait for those details. Um, and then I wanted to kind of, let's see, take us through room one. So if you go to common thread, this is what you'll see. You'll see the homepage. Um, these are details about this aspect. And then if you wanted to sign up, um, it is join room one here. Um, you can do monthly, you could do annually. In room one, um, when you hit home, uh, start here. So Jess, if you click on this, this takes you to a video. Um, so Jess takes you through start to finish. Since she was the one that created the website, did such a fantastic job. She takes you through start and finish of all the things um, that room one has to offer. That's under start here. If you scroll down, here's the calendar. So if you click on this, like this was um, my uh, session. If you click on the day and you um, cut and paste the link or click the link um, on the time, and these are all in Pacific um, Standard Times. These are also in the free Facebook group. So it's a little bit easier to um, access as well. And so that is um, each event. And so these are the events coming up um, and they'll have the Zoom links on there. Uh, we are uh, obviously, you know, responsive. We took your poll that you guys had in the private Facebook group and we changed all the times to, to the things that would hopefully at least target some people. But this is like a phenomenal amount of coaching for the amount that you get um, in a month. There is blog of the month. If you click on that, that has these um, blogs. This um, article was just picked up by Kim MD, Stop Resisting the Imposter. Um, just talked about the crackpot. Finding your purpose, you know, self-sabotage. If you go from the beginning, it talks a little bit about some of these 
um, you know, thought downloads, uncovering hidden thoughts, questioning your thoughts. Um, and then there's a, you know, a couple of things in the um, different aspects here. So these are um, typically related to um, the topic of the month. We'll take it back to home again. Um, so that's the blog of the month. Um, the watch and listen is where you can look at the replays. Um, this is also in the private podcast. So if you go in room one, um, if you click on podcast, it takes you to directions of getting you the private podcast. So this is, if you click on these, you can watch the videos um, of things that have come up. And if you scroll through these, I mean, these are all the things we're feeling. Urges, you know, <laughs> shit sandwiches, <laughs> career changes, um, you know, days off and meetings and, you know, things like that. These are all things that were, um, these are coaching sessions from before. And so uh, that's audio and video. And then events, I think we already mentioned, um, these are just different. These are what's on the calendar. And again, this is the podcast. This is show, showing you how to, to get to it. So that is um, this here. Resources just takes you to a link for one-on-one, -on -one, which uh, ask a coach as if you wanted to just send an email. Like I'm having trouble with this model. I got a question, things like that. Your account is, you know, the details of your account. Watch and listen again, or the videos. Um, and then if you go up to faculty, um, there are office hours. So if you're a room one member, you have the ability to book a one-on-one -on -one session. Um, Kelly is in the midst of writing her book. So she is not doing any one-on-ones. By the way, she's got a book coming out. How badass is that? So that's coming out in, um, I think it's pushed to January uh, called You Are Not Broken based on her podcast. Um, so Jess and I both have, if you wanted to schedule something, you just click on there. So that's, you know, um, these are separate charges outside of room one. And as far as one-on-one -on -one coaches, these are also still a great deal. Uh, anyway, so we have some time for questions and I'm so sorry that I, that I kind of rambled on a bit, but I definitely wanted to, I know a lot of people want to know what room one is like and people that are in room one that are, you know, we've had a lot of new members trying to figure out the best way to go about this. Um, I think that's kind of taking you through start to finish a lot of those things. Um, Justin, do you have any thoughts? Sorry, just unmuting myself. My dogs are barking a lot. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm glad that you went through that um, because sometimes, you know, we get some feedback from people that um, indicate that it's, you know, confusing or something like that to navigate through. So I think it's nice to go from time to time, just re remind everybody kind of what's on the website. So, yeah. So um, we've got time for questions. Does anyone have any questions about coaching, how room one works? Um, let me, I'm going to let, allow all of you guys to talk if you're interested. Um, you know, this is, this is your time. So if there's anything that you guys want to know, fire away. If you've been on a coaching call, you know that I have no problem filling space and time <laughs> with talking. So <laughs> anyway. Well, I see some, um, some new folks here that have just joined. Um, so I hope that you guys got a lot out of it. You know, I really, you know, we know that we're asking you for your time when you come here. You know, this is not just, you know, us giving you something, you know, you're, you're giving us your time. And so we want to make sure that these things are valuable for you. We are very, very interested in your feedback. We've made changes based on the times of, of group calls. Um, and things like that too. So we value your input. So please don't hesitate to let us know. Um, we created this group for, for you. Um, and so I hope you really take advantage of, of that. And 
one another aspect of coaching, I think that was in a post. Um, this this is not you can't just sign up for a membership or hire a coach and expect change. Um, change happens when you do the work, um, when you really like come up with the thoughts and really understand you know how your mind works. And a lot of us, I think, if I were to recommend any way to approach all of this, is just with curiosity. Curiosity is not judgmental. It's you know looking at your life and your thoughts um, out of interest and seeing what comes up for you. That's probably the most valuable aspect is, I wonder what this is like. I wonder why I'm thinking this. I wonder what I'm, you know, I wonder if I try this, if this will work, you know, why, what are my motivations for all this? And, you know, I've been telling myself this about myself all this time. And what if that's not true? And what a freeing concept. Freeing, that's the key, Amy. Um, Coaching creates liberation. And so much of our lived experience is based on a bunch of rules and regulations that were made up by people who came before us. And we've all just agreed to keep doing it this way. So we're in a position now, especially as women in surgery, to create something new for us and for the people who are coming behind us. There's so much I see. I love being a surgeon. I love it. And I didn't love it for a very long time. And so now it's like, oh, I love it again. And I want, and that's because I've I've been coaching, getting coached, coaching myself. And now I'm thinking we can create something so special for the people coming behind us who don't have to suffer who don't have to have such a negative experience of what this awesome job actually is. Leah's made a comment here. Yes, this is a great question. Have you ever used virtual assistants to get other things done so you can work on yourself? And I'm trying to learn how to delegate and I thought I would practice on someone virtual. Now, this is such a great idea. Um, so virtual assistants, there's a couple different ways that you can go about this. Um, if you get like one of these companies, and we're actually experiencing this now too, um, that they, a typical, you know, higher level kind of thing is going to charge you a thousand dollars to assess your situation. And then it's typically a minimum of like 45 hours a month, you know, like a thousand dollars. So it's a lot. Now, a lot of times you may not need that. There's other ways you can get some virtual assistance like on, um, is it Upwork? I don't know if Fiverr has it. Some of these websites that let you get these folks um, uh, as you go along. But the most important thing, there's a really good book. Um, I think it's, it's a Michael Hyatt that came out um, with uh, a, a, a creating a good assistant. And that was really, really fascinating. I actually typed up a summary of it. Um, and so maybe I'll put that on a blog post in room one. And so I think before you... Um, you could consider hiring someone, but I think before you spend your money on somebody, maybe try practicing some of these, you know, delegation principles on people around you and see how you can leverage the people that are around you already. And when it comes to um, like virtual assistants, giving them very clear directions is very helpful. So start doing these, you know, like I need you to do this in some directions. And there's different ways of doing like videos um, of things. Like if you do videos of things like that, you digitally um, a lot can help. So there's a lot of really creative ideas of ways. So the short answer is we really need one. And we're just trying to figure out how to hire one. We have purposely kept the prices of room one low. And I think that actually comes to, you know, talking about one of the, the things that we've consistently debated about is the price of room one. When it comes to coaching, that we are far, far below market value for that. We wanted this to be accessible to all surgeons, especially residents. Um, but we are kind of reaching a point that to 
up level and give you all more, that we probably are going to have to raise prices, but we have committed that for those uh, folks that have joined us as founding members of Room One, we will grandfather in those things and any price increases will not include those members that are already in there. Um, that was a really long answer to your question. I, I, Jess, what are your thoughts on virtual assistants? Yeah, I mean, I uh, would like to explore that for our, you know, for our coaching, but um, in my own life, I, um, I rely heavily on my like real assistant. And as I mentioned before, I'm already, you know, working through some personal brain stuff, just trying to get like a housekeeper in my house. <laughs> so I think I understand where this person's coming from asking the, asking this question to get things off your plate. Like it was an actual struggle for me to get what I have so far. Um, but I think virtual assistants, I mean, the, it's the wave of the future. So I think it's, I mean, Kelly does her scribes virtually. Um, I think a lot of virtual help is available for people in clinical environments. So go for it. Yeah, the, the biggest thing is like, how are you going to use them? You know, this, this delegating is a skill set. Um, and, and definitely I would uh, start practicing small and then incorporating more and more activities. When, when you look at your schedule and you realize what you're doing, like, can I get someone else to do it? Start practicing right then of finding someone who could do it for you, um, who, who should be doing it for you. And this, this is another thing that we didn't really have time to touch on when it comes to delegating. When you don't delegate stuff, you devalue your team, you disempower them. Um, you know, you actually create a worse environment for yourself by doing it yourself. We think that we're, you know, we're the good girl 2.0, the independent woman, we're, we're suffering because of it. And so um, trying every day to like offload stuff is, and then once you realize that you can do that, then you actually probably do have enough time um, and work for a virtual assistant, then it might be worth it to do all those tasks. I think um, virtual assistants in the past used to come like a good wife. I need a good wife. <laughs> all right. I think we're right at seven. Any um, last opportunity for any questions, anyone? All right, well, I'm so glad that you all joined us. Um, and you know, again, we look forward to seeing you all in room one or common thread. Um, and again, we're, we're here uh, for you. And then, oh wait, let's see, good advice. <laughs> Same thing to my husband, I'm, I'm, I'm taking you me like the good wife part. <laughs> all right, well, thanks so much all. Um, really appreciate y'all joining us. Thank you.